And I'm going to do something I, heard, I saw a preacher do recently and I thought was neat. So go to Matthew chapter 1. And, um, all right, Matthew chapter 1. Now, once you get to Matthew chapter 1, that's not our text. So I, I saw a preacher do this recently and I thought it was neat. When there's, a, when there's a book in the Bible that's a little hard to find, you tell them to go to an easy part. All right, now that you're in Matthew chapter 1, just go back three books. Go back three books. Should be the book of Haggai. All right. Now I know many of you easily could have gone there, gotten there real fast. All right, Haggai chapter 1. And um, I want to start off the message. Before we read, I'm going to do something a little different and give the context to it. Uh, When we read our Bibles, context is so important. And knowing who... Who's, who's this talk, who, who, who was the one writing it or, or speaking? To, who, to whom was it addressed? Um, where were they? Why was this being written? Uh, what, what was the time period? When, when did this come? So knowing all those questions helps you to understand the passage a lot better. A lot of times we don't understand the Bible because we don't understand the context. And uh, when we understand context, we understand so much more. And the, the Lord can use, uh, speak to our hearts so much more uh, through his word when we know context. And um, so I want to encourage you, you know, it, it, it's sort of like if you uh, have ever walked into the room in the middle of a show or a movie or something and not, not known what, 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 what's going on and you see something happen um, and, and you think, well, that was a terrible thing. But sometimes context helps br- uh, bring things into perspective, uh, knowing, knowing the circumstances. And uh, so really in the Bible, uh, you'll, you'll find that every time you read it through, uh, the more you know, the more context you have, and the, the more you, you understand the Bible. And uh, very good. So Haggai chapter 1, what's the context here? What is the context of this book? Most of the minor prophet books, uh, quite frankly, are very hard to understand. They have a lot of symbolism. If you go, for instance, to the, uh, one book forward to the book of Zechariah, um, it's a very, uh, it's a, to me, it's a, very, a lot harder a book, a book to understand. There's a lot more symbolism uh, in it. It's a lot longer of a book. And uh, some people have compared Zechariah to Daniel. Uh, Haggai, to me, is one of the easiest minor prophets. Uh, of, the, of the minor prophets, it's one of the easiest to understand. And I love the book of Haggai. It's, just, there's, it, it's only a couple chapters long, but it's just packed with so much truth in the book of Haggai. But, so we get to chapter 1, and really, what's the context? Well, we find our context in the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. Ezra was a scribe. And uh, so, so let's go ahead and uh, back up a little bit. Uh, throughout Israel's history, and uh, ever since they, they, they crossed over the Red Sea, and uh, they, were, they were slaves in Egypt, uh, God used Moses to free them after the ten plagues. Pharaoh finally let them go. They crossed over the Red Sea. Eventually, uh, the, the first generation, they doubted that God could, could, uh, could basically do what he said and give them the promised land. They looked at the giants and they said, there's no way we can do it. Because of their disbelief, they had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And they wandered around for 40 years. And finally, the, second, the next generation came. And uh, right before Moses died, we have the book of Deuteronomy, where, where Moses looks at the next generation and basically reiterates the law. I just told your fathers the law, and I'm going to tell you the law before you go in, because you guys are the ones that go in. And we know Moses died, and Joshua led them in, and uh, they crossed over the Jordan River, and uh, into the promised land they go. They defeat Jericho, and, and on and on they go, and God gives them the promised land. And so, but, but 
Part of it is when we read, we read Israel, the history, when they get to the promised land, we know they don't drive out all the inhabitants like they were supposed to. And they didn't do everything. They, their, the obedience wasn't complete. And so it resulted that uh, the other people groups around, their gods, the, they ended up marrying their women, the Moabite women. And, uh, and so they ended up intermarrying with the women. They ended up serving, worshiping their gods. And idolatry became a problem for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's the book of Judges in a nutshell was it's just a vicious cycle of idolatry. If you read the book of Judges, they would, they would uh, commit idolatry. God would send a, 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 a pagan people to uh, take them captive. And then God would, uh, they, they would call to God and repent. And then God would send a judge their way to deliver them. And they would be delivered for a while. And then they'd go right back into the same idolatry. And it's just, the book of Judges is just one vicious cycle. And so after that, God started sending them, uh, God gave them a king. But then he started sending them prophets. And uh, so one prophet after another would come to them and warn them about the false gods and tell them that there's going to be a judgment. And this judgment isn't just where a, a, a pagan nation comes and, and, and takes you captive for a little bit. No, this, there's going to be a pagan nation that's going to come. And they're not just, it's not going to be one of your neighbors, nearby neighbors. It's going to be a faraway land. And they're going to take you completely far away for a very long time. And uh, they're going to destroy your city. The beautiful temple that Solomon built is going to be desolate, destroyed. And uh, so... Prophet after prophet would get up and, and tell them, okay, you guys, have, you guys think you've seen God's judgment, uh, and, and you kind of have, but really, God's hand is about to fall, I mean, big time on you guys. And uh, God's hand's going to fall, and uh, you're going to be judged very, very severely. And so, prophet after, one, of, one of the last prophets uh, that prophesied before uh, God's hand, I mean, fell on them hard, was the prophet, uh, the weeping prophet, which was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because before his very eyes, he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. He witnessed the captivity. He saw Nebuchadnezzar sent his forces and uh, three different invasions finally wiped out the city of Jerusalem, wiped out, took all the stuff out of, the, out of Solomon's temple back with them and uh, just completely wiped it out. And uh, Jeremiah witnessed that and, and everything that Jeremiah said. One of the prophecies we find in Jeremiah is very interesting. And that's where we pick up in the book of Ezra. Jeremiah chapter 25 and uh, Jeremiah says that their, their captivity, they were going to be in captive for exactly 70 years. He predicts it down to the very year, Jeremiah 25, for 70 years. And that, that's where if you go to the book of Ezra, and really the context behind the book of Haggai is from Ezra chapters 1 through 5. Ezra's one, Ezra 1 through 5. And what it is is, uh, Ezra chapter 1, King Cyrus, in the first year of his reign, makes a decree... And uh, the, the, the Medo-Persian uh, Empire uh, takes over the Babylonian Empire, and King Cyrus is now the king. It's a new empire, and he makes a decree the very first year of his reign, uh, which allows the Israelites to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And I, for the sake of time, we're not going to go through the book of Ezra. I'm just going to read it. And if you want to, in your own time, go through Ezra chapter 1 through 5, you can see what I'm talking about. And, uh, but Ezra chapter 1, basically, we see the decree, and the decree is basically this. Either go... Go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, either go or give. Those are your options. So if you're not going to go, if you're going to stay here, which, by the way, many of them that had lived in that, in that empire, many of them had never, of course, they were in captivity for 70 years. So unless they had lived to be more than 70 years old, uh, how old are you when you get your first memories? Five? So I would say they probably had to be at least 75, 76 years old to be able to remember, maybe 74 to even be able to remember what Jerusalem was like. So most of them had been born in captivity. They, that's all they had known. They didn't even know anything about Israel. But they had the option. You can either go back to your roots, go back and rebuild this city, 
or you can stay, but if you stay, you have to give so they can go back and rebuild. And that's chapter 1 in a nutshell. Chapter 2, we see a record of who went back. Chapter 3, uh, they reestablish the sacrifices and lay the foundation of the temple. And so they finally uh, get back and they, 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 they do the sacrifices, lay the foundation for the temple, and now things are underway. Uh, in Ezra chapter 4, this is where things get interesting because they soon face opposition. The opposition, uh, uh, they, they have people that want to join uh, and help them, help them rebuild uh, the temple. Now, really, their plan was not to help them rebuild the temple. And the uh, leaders knew that. And so they did not let them help them rebuild the temple. And so when the leaders, uh, Jeshua and Zerubbabel, had told them, look, you're not going to help us rebuild the temple. We know that you guys are really enemies. And so what do they do? They, they start to try to discourage them with their words. They even go so far, if you read the chapter in chapter 4, as to hire people to do nothing but heckle them. I mean, hire people to frustrate them, to just be an annoying. Uh, that, and that, that was all they did. And that's Ezra chapter 4. And, uh, but none of that was working. So finally what they do is they write a letter to the king. And at this point, it's a different king. King Ahasuerus. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. And, uh, but they, 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 it's another king, and they write a letter, and they say, basically, king, you're the greatest king in all the world. They butter him up real good. They make him feel good about himself. And, uh, and king, let me just tell you about this people. Uh, check the records. They've been a troublesome people. They've made insurrection before. And if you let them rebuild a city, they're going to they're gonna close up the walls, and they're not going to pay tribute to you anymore. It's just going to be to your damage. And so, king, we're, we're, we're just looking out for you. We have your best interest in mind. And, uh, and so uh, the, king, the, the letter's read to the king, and the king says, you know, they got a point. And so he makes a decree, and Ezra chapter 4, we see this decree, and interestingly enough, you look at the decree, he makes a decree and says the entire city, not just the temple, now this is important, the entire city, look at Ezra chapter 4, you can read it yourself, the entire city was to stop being built, not just the temple. And I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Why is that important? We'll come back to that. But then you get to Ezra chapter 5, and so there's a, there's a period of time between Ezra chapter 4 and Ezra chapter 5 of approximately 14 years where they had laid the foundation, but because of the decree, there was a law. I mean, what were they going to do? They were, they're, here they are doing a good work. They're building, they're rebuilding uh, the temple. The, uh, the temple that Solomon once built, this beautiful, uh, some people believe one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive building to ever have been built. I mean, what all that went into it, all the precious metals, but the, the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, they are rebuilding this temple. They're doing a good work. Everything is going great for them. But all of a sudden, there's a law. What are they to do? There's a law that says they can't build. And so for 14 years, they sit idle, and the, the, the foundation lays completely desolate. It lays waste. I mean, there's nothing. And uh, that's where, between Ezra 4 and 5, we see in Ezra chapter 5, uh, after 14 years transpire, Haggai and Zechariah get a message from the Lord, and they begin to prophesy. And the children of Israel finally wake up, and they realize their mediocrity, and, re- and they resume the construction of the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but I- I've grown up in church, um, and I've seen a lot of preaching. I've heard, I'm, I've heard a lot of preaching. I haven't seen it. And uh, I've heard a lot of preaching. Uh, I've seen a lot of people preach. And uh, I've seen a lot of uh, altar calls. I've seen people uh, make a lot of decisions. But I've also seen a lot of decisions, even in my own life and in other people's lives, that were made, tears that were shed, and then nothing. And uh, so then you see, you see this in, in, in just the book of Ezra alone. It doesn't tell us what the prophet said. It just, all it says, it, literally in one verse, Ezra 5.1, one verse, 
Haggai, uh, Haggai and Zechariah prophesied. Verse 2, they begin to rebuild the temple. And I think to myself, wow, what in the world could those prophets have said? It, 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 what, what do they say uh, to get them after 14 years uh, of sitting idle and doing absolutely nothing? And all of a sudden in verse 2, they, they begin to rebuild the temple. What happened? And that's where, that's where the book of Haggai comes. I'm so glad that Haggai, chapter 1, we get to see Haggai's message to this people. And I want us to look at, take a look at this message, and I've spent, um, and unapologetically, I've spent uh, uh, maybe about ten minutes explaining the context, and uh, just kind of a, given a quick panoramic shot of I- the history of Israel. And, uh, but I want us to see what is this message, that, that what it was. And understanding the context, again, uh, understanding what this was, they had fallen where every single one of us fall. They fell into this, this, this it, was, it was the status quo, it was mediocrity. It was, we're, we're happy, we're content, we're, we're, and, and we all can get into this medi- mediocrity, sort of in a, in a valley, where the valley of laziness, the valley of, of, of apathy, of indifference, of not really caring. And that was really where they were at this point. And they had been on a mountaintop when they returned. They reestablished the sacrifices. They, re, they, they laid the foundation. Everything was going great until the, uh, what fell? The decree from Ahasuerus saying, you've got to stop building. Stop building the entire city. You're done. What are they going to do? They're done. And uh, so for 14 years, nothing happened. And so for 14 years, uh, there was this, and, and there, there was this, this, they were in a quagmire, and there, there was nothing that happened. And they slipped into this, this apathetic mode, this indifferent mode, and nothing got done. But then God used the preaching of his word. Let's look at Haggai chapter 1. We see here in verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius... Now, that's another king, verse 1. The second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the, uh, the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, and, and, and look at this question. By the way, statements accuse, I heard this in Bible college a lot, statements accuse, questions convict. Why does God ask questions? Why does an omniscient God ask us questions? Because he already knows the answer, but he wants us to arrive at the same answer. And he wants us to understand. And, uh, but here's a question. Is it time for you? And so number one, I want us to notice the chastening for procrastination. Point number one, the chastening for procrastination. Is it time? Was the question. Fourteen years have passed. Is it time? And there was a new king now, and, uh, and they didn't even try. After the changing of kings, you would think, hey, we got a new king now in power. And uh, you, think, you think we can try now to rebuild the temple? There had been no effort made. But the chastening for procrastination. What's interesting is the initial decree that made them stop working, applied to rebuilding the entire city. And that's what we already mentioned. Yet somehow, you look at verse 4, what does it say? Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? That's interesting. They were able to, you look at verse 4, they had put more effort into sealing up their houses, and more effort into renovating their houses, making their houses better, in their own personal belongings, while the, t- while the foundation laid waste. And Haggai is asking a question. He's getting them to think here. 
look, you guys have been putting so much time in your houses. When is it going to be time for the house of God? You're putting so much time and you're procrastinating it. And so, uh, and, and really, when I, when, I, when I thought about this, it reminded me, and, I, and I'm going to go here, I don't want anyone to get offended, but it reminded me of COVID. Because quite frankly, uh, laws were passed. And it seemed like overnight, they, I mean, what, what could a lot of churches do? Especially up here in New England, it was hard. And, uh, but but uh, the, the laws, and, and everyone sort of had to, uh, start, a lot of people had to start watching services online, start having a live stream. And really, um, you travel around the country, you see in a lot of churches, and, and I've talked to a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors have told me, no, I mean, prior to COVID, after COVID, a lot of the people that were serving God to a certain degree uh, since COVID have not come back up at the same level. They're not even attending church like they ought to. Now, I might be a preaching to the choir because you're all here on a Wednesday night uh, service, but, uh, you know, pr- uh, prior to COVID, a lot of Christians, uh, they started getting real comfortable and, uh, hey, what are we going to do? The laws pass. What, what are we going to do? And uh, we, have to sit, we have to sit idle here. And then, and then now that now we're here in 2022, April 2022, and what are a lot of people still doing? What are we still doing? Are we using the laws? Are we using it? Are we procrastinating? Are we are, are we using it? And we haven't gotten back to where we ought to be. And uh, we ought to not look for these excuses. And uh, usually, we put things off because we believe we have a valid excuse. That's why we put things off. And uh, we believe we if, if our circumstances only were different then we would, we would do it right away. And so a lot of times we believe these excuses, uh, if I were older. I, I, you know, a kid could say, if I were older. And an older person says, if I were younger. And uh, if, this, if this circumstance was different in my life, then I would serve in a greater capacity. I would do better. I would help more in the church. I would give more. And uh, by the way, with this message, there's a lot of different ways you could go. There's a lot of application that could be made here. And, uh, but number one, I want us to notice the chastening for procrastination. Are you putting off what you could be doing? Are, are, is, there, is there a decision for repentance that you know you need to make, but you're just so comfortable in your life that you're putting it off? And uh, don't put off God's best for you. And uh, God's best, God, and life, life moves so quick. Our life is but a vapor. We blink, and we're in our, uh, I, I blink that I'm in my 30s. I'll probably blink again, and I'll be in my 40s. And uh, life moves fast. And it's, it moves too fast uh, to live our lives for ourselves and not live in the center of God's will. The chastening for procrastination. Number two, I want us to notice the command to consideration. The command to consideration. Verse 5. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then in verse 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So twice he tells them, Consider your ways. Think about your ways. Think about it. And uh, that word consider. And uh, consideration helps us to slow down and think things through and be established. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26 says, Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Let all thy ways, ponder the path of thy feet, let all thy ways be established. Proverbs 426. Consideration helps us to slow down. We're to ponder the path of our feet. And uh, something I, I thought was interesting when I was reading Proverbs chapter 4, if you could just go there with me real fast. And uh, as we te- take each step, we're to consider where each step is leading us. And Proverbs chapter 4, I, something that I, uh, a while back in my Bible reading I noticed that I thought was interesting. Proverbs chapter 4. 
In verse 23 it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Then verse 25, Let thine eyes look right on, let thine eyelids look straight before thee. And then look what it says in verse 26. Ponder the path thy feet, let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. And look at the last phrase. Remove thy feet. What does it say there? No, no. Does it say feet? It says foot. It doesn't say feet. The idea, and I, and I, I read this and I, and I noticed it's singular. It doesn't say remove thy feet. It's the idea of if you're pondering your, your, the, the, the path of your feet, it, it's the idea of being very, very careful, uh, of being considering, watching where you're going, and uh, ponder the path of thy feet. And it says, remove thy, and the idea is thy foot. It's the idea of, of walking so circumspectly, so carefully, that your foot, you, all you've taken is one step into, into the wrong direction. You haven't taken multiple steps. It is, it is being so careful that one step, and you've already, you're now removing thy foot. And so it's, it's, when you start to get off the path, before you even take the second step off the path, hey, remove thy foot. Okay? It, is, it is being that careful. And so this is a commanded consideration. And uh, consideration uh, also can help light a fire within us. David said in uh, Psalm 39.3, While I was musing, the fire burned. The fire burned. And so there's several, there's, there's different synonyms in the Bible. There's the word consider, there's the word muse, there's the word meditate. You see the word meditate quite a bit in Psalm 119. And uh, if you just study Psalm 119 and underline or look at every time the word meditate is mentioned, but it's, it's quite a bit. And uh, there's the word uh, ponder, and we saw that. And so uh, just, just, uh, just something interesting, the Bible puts a great emphasis on it. Sixty-seven times in the Bible we see the word consider. Uh, twice we see the word muse, twice the word ponder. 20 times the word meditate. And uh, the Bible wants us to meditate. Uh, God wants us to meditate. He wants us to think. He wants us to stop and consider. A lot of times there's so much noise. And I think the reason a lot of times we don't repent, and uh, we need to let the fire, we need to, th- through that musing of the word of God, the meditation of God's word, letting it really soak into our lives, I mean really studying, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, just really letting it sink, uh, sink down in there for a while, and a lot of times, God can light a fire within us, a fire that will cause repentance, a fire that will cause a change of direction. And so there's a command of consideration. And, and, and not only was the consideration going to be helpful in, in, in regards to uh, uh, helping them change direction, but really, look at the, uh, uh, the logic of it. Going back to the verse. If you look at verse 6, he says, "Ye have sown much and bring in little. He says, I want you to consider it here. I don't want you just to consider, but I really want you to consider the logic here. By the way, sin, or, or being out of the will of God, which is the, the same thing, uh, being out of the will of God or sinning, uh, really doesn't make sense, for, even from a logical standpoint. Uh, we know, even from looking in the Bible, we know from, from history, we know from experience, when you look at uh, God's ways are the best ways, we know that if we follow God and we do what God wants us to do, we're exactly in the center of His will doing what He wants us to do. There is no better thing like it. There is a peace that passes all understanding. And, uh, and so really, uh, He wants them to consider. He says, uh, you have so much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not uh, filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. And uh, they, they were living, this was a people living for themselves. They were concentrating on their houses. They were, they were living for the, their own lives here. 
And the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We're, we're just passing through this life. This world ought not to be our home. We ought to not get too comfortable in our home where we're not looking into the eternal. And so often we, we get so comfortable, and with so many, of the com- so many of the comforts of life, we need to stop and really consider you know, on a, on a, if we can make eternity a line going, uh, an, an infinite line going in both directions, and say that you're, uh, this little point that you can only see with the magnifying glass on the line, you have to hold up a magnifying glass to see the point on the line. That's your life, okay? And that line that just extends on and on and on for eternity, that's eternity, okay? Do you want to live more for that little speck, or do you want to live more for the eternity? Let's put things in perspective here. And uh, let's, let's, let's think things through. What are we doing with our lives? Are we throwing it away on things that don't matter? There was a command of consideration. And really, that's, that's, that's going to be the key. Uh, we have to stop. We have to meditate. We have to think things through. We have to allow God to stir our hearts. And we have to think it through and, and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in our life. Number three, and uh, number one, we saw the chastening for procrastination. We procrastinate. The command, number two, to consideration. And number three, the charge to initiation. The charge to initiation. Verse 8, and I love this point. This is so practical. So practical. So so he's getting to the end of his message here. He's getting to the end. And what does he say? Okay? Does he say, all right, we're going to have an altar call. And and I'm not not against altar calls. But he's saying, all right, all right, we're going to have an altar call. We're uh, we're going to write decision cards and we're going to fill them out. No. Look at verse 8. He says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood. Okay, we're, gonna, we're, we're done talking about it. We're going to do something about this. We're going we're gonna to we're gonna, we're gonna start rebuilding the temple. What, what we left off 14 years ago, we're going to continue again. And by the way, that, 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 there was a very, very practical first step here. A very practical first step. And uh, 22 times in the book of Deuteronomy, if you ever do a study through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see a phrase that occurs a lot of times. And if you've read through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll know what I'm talking about. What phrase is it? The phrase, observe to do. Observe to do. And that phrase, that word observe, is sort of like meditate. It's sort of like consider. But you don't just consider and say, hmm, yeah, you know, I, I, I should probably change something in my life. Well, that goes back to the first point. We need to do it now, not procrastinate in one day. And, uh, but here we see uh, there, there was an observation. Wow, we're... we're, we're We've got our houses sealed, uh, and, and we got it. We're, filled, we're putting money in a bag with holes, and uh, we're getting nowhere. We're trying to uh, put uh, crops down, and we're getting nowhere. What are we doing in, in, in this life? What are we doing? And uh, there was a charge here to initiation. There was an obvious first step of repentance. There was an obvious first step. Now, I don't know what it is in your life, and, and what is it in your life that maybe you need to repent from. And it could be a sin of commission. Maybe something in your life that you're doing that you ought not to do. Some, some sin that you're struggling with. It could be anything. It could be a sin of omission. It could be something that you, you ought to be doing. And sin isn't just the things we do. It's what God To him that knoweth to do good, James tells us, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And if, if there's a, a gospel track I'm supposed to pass out and I say no to the Holy Spirit, I say, eh, I don't have time. Or there's a person I'm supposed to talk to, maybe my neighbor, if I'm supposed to invite somebody to the Easter service, and I, and I know it in the back of my mind, and I say, you know, I should probably do that, and I don't. Well, that, 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 that's sin as well. And so, what is, what is in our life that we need to repent of? Many times we're very quiet with the gospel. I know, I, and something lately in my Bible study, uh, I've just been noticing, I think the Lord maybe is teaching me, showing me how much, and, and you, 
this is something interesting. When you, when you read the Bible, uh, look, just watch how many times in your Bible reading will, will uh, fear affect what somebody does or doesn't do. If you do, if you do a Bible study, fear, I mean, Genesis chapter 3, right after the first sin, what are, they, what are Adam and Eve doing? They're hiding. I mean, there's fear. <laughs> Uh, of, of uh, they're, they're naked, they were afraid. Adam says, uh, we heard your voice, we were afraid. And you just see, all the, how much has fear, how much has fear played a role on people until this day? How much has fear play uh, a role in what people do and how they live our lives? Huge role. And a lot of times, fear is a sin because we're not trusting in God's will and we're not giving things over to God. And so there's a certain, there's, a, there's an obvious first step of repentance. I don't know what it is in your life. But whatever it is, give it over to God. And uh, go get wood is very, very practical. It does, not, it does not get more practical than going up to a mountain and getting wood so you can bring it down and start the temple. And a lot of times, I believe, uh, you hear, we hear a lot of messages, and, and say you say, well, okay, I'm not walking with God like I ought to. Okay, what is a practical first step? You know what? I think I'm going to go to the store and buy a devotional book. Then I'm going to sit down and I'm going I'm to schedule out a time and I'm going to find a place, and I'm going to have a time and a place. Now I have a devotional book in my Bible, and I have everything I need, and now I just, now I just have, to, I have to refuse to be distracted. And so uh, I have now went out and bought a devotional. You know that buying a devotional book, that, that's going up to the mountain getting wood. That's so practical. And a lot of times we miss the things in life that are just so incredibly practical. I mean, just, okay, uh, how am I going to make sure that I, I, that I, that I uh, what, what can I do to make sure I do God's will for my life? What is a very, very practical thing I can do? Something literal. Something when I go home I can do. Okay? What, what is distracting me? What, and, and figuring these things out. But, but God is a very practical God. And this message did not get more practical. The conclusion of the message was, go up to the mountain and get wood. And my question is, what is, figuratively speaking, what is the, your wood this evening? What is it that, that very, very practical, what is it you need to do? And maybe you need to ask God for wisdom about it. Maybe there's a certain problem in your life or something that you need to improve in and uh, to draw closer to God. Maybe to, uh, something that you could do better in the church or be of greater service. What is it in your life, very practically speaking, and maybe you can ask God, God, please show me. Show me something very practical. Maybe you can ask your pastor. And uh, maybe you can ask somebody, a, a leader in this church, or maybe a deacon or somebody who would know. What is, uh, the pastor's wife. You could ask, uh, there's, there's lots of people you could ask, and say, hey, I have this, this problem. What is something practical I can do in my life? What is it, the wood that I need to go up to the mountain and get? What do I need to do? And very practically speaking, but a lot of times we all can fall here. And, and, and really the biggest problem is we look around. We look around. And uh, nobody else was rebuilding the temple. Why should I try? And that's the problem. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And we wait on other people to do it. Other people aren't doing it. We don't step out. And we're, we're, we're content to maintain status quo. May God help us to go up to our mountain and get the wood that we ought to get, that first practical step of repentance. And I'm not against making decisions at the altar. We ought to. But a lot of times there's an obvious first step we need to take. And that's what we need to do. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I ask that you would just please bless um, the preaching of your word. And God, I know that you're so practical and there's, there's, there's things that we need to specifically do to make the first step. And what is it that, Lord, that... I don't, and, and, Lord, this message was very broad. Uh, for the children of Israel, it was, it was a temple that needed to be rebuilt. But, Lord, I ask that you would just please work in the hearts uh, of each person here. I don't know people here like you do. Uh, you infinitely know everything. And, uh, Lord, I ask that you do what you, only you can do. And we'll leave this into your hands. We ask all things for Christ's sake.